As COVID-19 continues to dominate and depress the market, a seemingly unshakably good crop is coming up. Can two late spring cold spells, possible limits on dicamba use, and full moisture profiles derail it? That's today on Field Posts. podcast by DTN Progressive Farmer that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. A couple of late cold shocks in April and May seemed to throw a wrench in what was otherwise an incredibly smooth planting season. But despite the cold and some wetness in the northern plains, DTN's crop progress experts Bryce Anderson and Pamela Smith say there's not much that can derail 2020's seemingly record crop Today we'll talk more about a drying La Nina brewing in the Pacific, the nearly full moisture profiles in soils across the Midwest, and what could be ahead for summer field work, pest pressure, and harvest as we move into the summer. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode of Field Posts is brought to you by DTN Hay Timer. Hay and forage quality isn't just about yield. It also relies on the perfect weather window to ensure a good crop. Use DTN Hay Timer, part of MyDTN, to quickly assess risk by viewing maps specifically designed to show circumstances affecting hay quality. Pennsylvania producer David Graybill said, quote, other weather forecasts were not accurate enough. As DTN Hay Timer shows, it takes the right combination of drying to preserve the crop. I would guess we lost three or four times the value in crops that it would have cost us to keep our DTN subscription for the year. DTN Haytimer is part of MyDTN platform. Visit MyDTN.com to start a free 14-day trial. And now, back to the podcast. DTN's ag meteorologist Bryce Anderson and crops technology editor Pamela Smith have been keeping a careful eye on Midwest crop conditions while respecting social distancing. From Bryce's home base in Omaha and Pamela's in southern Illinois, they're seeing some impactful local and short-term impacts while keeping the long-term forecast in mind. Bryce and Pamela, give us an overview of where we are right now in the season. What is happening or what has happened in the last you know, week or so, couple of weeks um, since the, the most recent crop progress report? And, and what are you watching most closely as we kind of move into the middle part of the summer? Well, Pam, why don't why don't you uh, talk about how how things are looking because you've had some real heavy rainfall and and so forth there in Illinois and maybe that's about as stressful an area outside of uh, like North Dakota that anybody's gone through. At least that's the way I see it. Yeah, we uh, we had pretty good line of thunderstorms came through here uh, recently. A couple couple of them. Uh, we were started the spring. I mean, I think everybody had really high hopes. We were we we're getting into the field fast, and uh, planting was on record pace. And then we got kind of smacked down with some cold and and um, rains that have slowed us up some. There's um, it just depends on where you sit. I mean, I'm smack in the center of Illinois, and we didn't get. We, it went all the way around us last night. And uh, so some of the farmers lucked out and uh, others did not, had had 
an inch in 20 minute kind of rain. Um, so there are some real wet spots for sure. Out here uh, in the Western Belt, in the Western Corn Belt in Omaha, I mean, we've just been kind of drippy. Not too far away from Omaha, there there was uh, heavy enough rain that there was some flash flood problems and, and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know that it's anything that is really unmanageable, fortunately, because uh, it has been drier in, in much of the spring. And so there was uh, probably quite a bit of water that worked in and and uh, hopefully the rainfall didn't come fast enough to cause a, a whole lot of washing and so forth. I just uh, have to think that right now you, you take the rain in May when you can get it if the, uh, if the crop is in the ground. I mean, we're probably around 90% planted on corn and uh, close to three quarters planted on soybeans nationally. That doesn't take away from the fact that to our north, in the uh, northern fringe of the of uh, the crop belt, northern South Dakota and and uh, North Dakota, northern Minnesota, that uh, that things are are very wet and so forth. But in uh, in aggregate, it's a it's a lot better scenario than it was last year. I mean, there, there's just no doubt about it. Uh, I had occasion to look at the precipitation that that Ohio has had and that state has had close to the same amount of precip in that section of the Midwest as they had a year ago. So that part of the Midwest is, is also quite wet. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's varied. That is different from last year because last year it seemed like it was just wet everywhere. So maybe that's a, that's a way to, to uh, describe the difference. At least there's a little bit more variety uh, around than we saw last year. I, I want to swing back around and talk a little bit more about wetness, but, um, you know, I, I think you kind of mentioned that there was a little bit of a, a cold snap. I think, Bryce, between this time and the last time we talked, there was a second cold week. And, and I wonder if you guys can talk kind of about the different effects. I know the Southern Plains is something to watch pretty carefully and, and how the, the cold snap kind of affected the wheat harvest, but also, you know, there was coldness, bizarre May coldness uh, kind of throughout the rest of the Midwest. What are, what, what are going to be the later season effects of, of that unseasonably cold, you know, springtime weather? Well, I think that, I think that the folks who, who did all that wheat sampling are, are probably the, the ones who, who saw it firsthand. I mean, Looked pretty bad to me uh, from from some of the uh, pictures that they shared on that virtual wheat tour that you wrote about there, Pam. Yeah, it, it just depends on where you sit again. Central uh, Kansas got some rain over the weekend, and um, I had some farmers that reached out that actually some of the farmers that we covered and showed pictures of their frozen uh, the frozen wheat and the head and they were saying that they'd gone out and done some sampling and wow they couldn't believe how much it would come back so the western part of Kansas is um, still hurting pretty bad they they uh, uh, had people talk on the wheat tour results and said that they just haven't put you know a planter in the ground yet because they're so dry so um, it just depends on where you're sitting. But I think that central part of the state 
that these rains will have helped them some, Bryce. I go back to uh, th this whole th this whole elevation difference in the in the uh, southern southwestern plains uh, in terms of its uh, relationship to rainfall because um, last weekend I saw that Medicine Lodge, Kansas had I believe just over an inch of rain. Medicine Lodge is right around an, an hour or so west of Wichita and then a hundred miles west of Medicine Lodge, Dodge City had what about three quarters of an inch of rain, and you're getting into a higher elevation in the plains then. And then west of Dodge City, Garden City, Kansas, only had about I think three tenths of an inch somewhere in there. And it just is uh, is, is very telling to me how those differences in elevation and their relationship to rain just kind of keep coming to. Uh, bear in terms of uh, what we see. And that heavier rainfall hit in very high yield areas for that uh, Kansas wheat crop. So I, th I think that maybe is, uh, is part of this whole picture that, uh, you know, that people were analyzing uh, from that wheat tour. Yep, that was, uh, we need to go back and do it again now, you know, three days later, right? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, you ask about the cold snap in the in the central part of at least in Illinois, Indiana, and some of those areas. What happened? Um, we did see some frost damage, but I went out for a drive. Took my trusty Scout Golden Retriever Lucy with me yesterday, and we went out for a ride and uh, looked at some of the fields that I had photographed earlier. And you would not be able to tell now that those had been hurt. So um, there might be a few areas that on soybeans that need replanting that had been planted really, really, really early. But I think for the most part, what it did was slow down the growth pattern of the crop. We saw a lot of yellowing and kind of kind of puny looking stuff that, you know, like drive by it and go, oh my gosh, that looks horrible. Well, it's green. We packed on the heat units over the weekend. You couldn't stand to be outside here. It was like a big old sauna in Central Illinois. So um, I think that made a huge difference. I said you could almost hear, you know, when they say you can hear it growing, you could almost see it and hear it growing this weekend. So I mean, it seems like the the frost or the the cold snaps didn't have a big effect on um, crop quality, maybe or, or emergence in the in the corn belt itself. But are you guys looking at are you following trends on um, replant or prevent plant? Any big kind of happenings in those spaces? I don't know. There's been a whole lot of replanting, has there, Pam? Uh, I mean, and fortunately on that. But I was a, I was wondering after some of the uh, work that. Emily had done with uh, her agronomy advisor group if there might not be quite a bit of replanting, but I don't know that we're going to see much of that. I don't think so from what I've been able to tell, but I mean, there's a little, you know, we've got quite a few drowned out spots where the water is sitting. It just depends on how tile is really showing its uh, hand. Uh, those fields that are better drained certainly are looking uh, better. Um, so, There'll be some guys that go in and spot in some of those uh, places. Um, 
or they might do what my dad did, and that was their watermelon patch. Who knows? I don't know, but that might be too many watermelons. But I have not heard about a whole lot. I know that there were some. Uh, like I said, some of those guys that got in real early went heavy on beans early, and they were up high, and uh, were you know got frosted a little bit too much. I think there were some of those put back. And do you think? folks are foregoing replant largely is that is that do you think that's price driven covid kind of uncertainty driven or is that just you know after last year and and a lot of bad experiences people are just saying ah i'll just i'll just take the prevent plant i just don't think that they were hurt as bad as they thought they let them you know they let it sit for a while and assess their stands and they weren't that bad um also we know that soybean stands can take a hit and recover. I, I heard someone recently talk about, you know, we, we talked a lot about the wheat, the pressure on wheat from the frost. Are you, are you guys worried about impacts on like alfalfa and other crops that might've been in, in their growth stages at, in those areas? There may have been some hit uh, with that freeze back in April and, maybe a little bit with the freeze around Mother's Day, but fortunately it did not uh, get sustained like we saw in April uh, with the, with that, uh, you know, week, week of uh, really cold uh, conditions back to back to back. And so I, and, and along with that, uh, you had maybe a little bit of uh, the, the April pattern uh, holding back the uh, growth rate of the hay. And so I think that, that alfalfa, by and large, was able to escape uh, having a, a real um, harsh round of, of damage uh, from the cold snap, but it certainly can happen. I've heard some meteorologists talk about the potential for drought. I think a lot of people think that's uh, kind of swinging for the fences as far as a prediction, but um yeah, talk to me about where, you know, we're a month further on from the last time we talked, Bryce, and, and Pam, I'd love to get your perspective, just you know, flooding, droughts, what do you guys see between now and harvest that, is it is it all just, you know, kind of a coin flip of, of which direction it might go, or are you more certain of, of one or the other? Well, I'm I'm very concerned that, that the southwestern third of the continental U.S. is going to be dry, and they already are turning dry, and as we're on on this uh, discussion right now, here on here in early week uh, after the Memorial Day weekend, uh, there's there's uh, a lot of heat emergency bulletins uh, in effect in the Central Valley in California and then into Arizona, uh, Southern Arizona, and and so the uh, so the Southwest is is really getting um, scorching hot here in late May. That's Nothing unusual, but I think that it it does point out that that there's likely to be a a kind of a, a standing uh, atmospheric setup for this season with you know that that hot bubble that that hot upper air situation uh, still hanging around in the southwest at least through probably early to mid July. And then, in contrast, you have a few of those uh, mountain wave uh, features uh, out of the Rockies that uh, that roll eastward into the plains and the Midwest. 
and if they if they move slowly enough, they'll be able to uh, to attract uh, a moisture corridor to flow uh, into the interior out of the Gulf of Mexico, which uh, of course offers the potential for thunderstorms to fire up. But even if they don't, we've got enough soil moisture right now uh, east of uh, I would say uh, U.S. Highway 183. Uh, in West Central Kansas, from there eastward, there is enough soil moisture that those uh, those little pieces of energy uh, coming out of the out of the high country um, are going to be able to work with a lot of, of you know kind of available resources uh, for continuing to uh, generate precipitation from time to time, and I think that that's uh, behind a lot of the uh, call that NOAA put out last week. When uh, the discussion, or when the forecast, rather, for both the month of June and for the June, July, August period, which is, you know, prime time for corn pollination and soybean flowering and everything, um, th those forecasts both feature basically seasonal temperatures for the Midwest and the northern two-thirds of the plains, uh, down to about... Uh, the Oklahoma-Kansas line, and above normal precipitation or near to above normal. And the, uh, the, the uh, details of the discussion on that pointed uh, notably to the availability of soil moisture and the possibility of these feedback uh, things happening in the lower levels of the atmosphere to uh, bring the rainfall, and that is that's not a that's not a bad forecast. Yeah, I you know, of course we're not we have not been traveling very much, so it limits us as to what we've actually seen with our eyes. But um, you know, I think uh, uh, certainly the major grain producing areas, for the most part, have plenty of moisture, from what I can tell, uh, with the exception of those areas that we we talked about um i i am curious what your thoughts are and the you know we've kind of left our delta buddies out here um bryce no singing delta dawn on me here either by the way but uh, uh they've been really getting hammered down there i think from what i can tell and haven't gotten very much crop in the ground i, I don't know if you have any thoughts towards that direction or not well um this week they're going to stay on the wet side. Uh, they'll be fine, you know, for more of the rainfall that that comes on. Um, I I thought that uh, that the uh, planting progress in uh, Mississippi and and uh, Arkansas had had at least kind of been able to creep back toward normal and or toward average, and I hadn't um, seen a whole lot of mention about about flooding any more than we've already seen. So there, um, there could be some, some things that ha simply have, have kind of slipped by because I was looking at uh, the fact that, that uh, they had not had uh, a lot of just real, real heavy rainfall here lately as a sign that maybe things had been able to, to uh, improve a little bit especially compared with last year. But uh, the way this last uh, system acted, uh, that 
that uh, could have been uh, overridden uh, probably pretty easily, you know? Yeah, yeah. COVID is obviously, and, and just the uncertainty around COVID in the markets is really overshadowing kind of any of the significant weather considerations, partially because things are looking like pretty good most places. Um, do you think there's a, or, or are you guys worried about a, a potential weather event that could happen over the summer that could really change the the equation and bring, you know, maybe overshadow some of some of COVID's effect on the market going forward? Well, from a weather standpoint, I don't know that there's going to be anything uh, right now, to be honest. Uh, the the fact that we're getting this kind of uh, a fairly soaking rain over some drier areas of the Western Corn Belt over the past week, I think has uh, helped to solve some uh, recent dryness that had been developing. There was a, a, a section of Southern Nebraska and then uh, kind of east and northeast into Western and Central Iowa that had turned pretty dry here in the last two weeks. And it's that sector that got anywhere from, I want to say one and a half to five inches of rain during the past week, especially from about uh, last Thursday uh, in uh, the, the Thursday before the Memorial Day holiday, and then through the entire holiday time frame, And it wasn't just one big uh, round of say seven or eight inch rainfall or anything like that, or three inches in one night. It was, it was a succession of uh, you know half, three quarters of an inch, that type of thing. And so I think we're going to see uh, the drought monitor reflect that in terms of uh, the the easing of dry consideration or dry potential. And otherwise, uh, you've got that you've got that uh, that strip of uh, cropland in the far north where it's been uh, very tough. No doubt about that, but um, in aggregate, otherwise, it's it's going to be hard to find a a real a real looming stress problem uh, when we go into the first uh, of June, because uh, you've got uh, soil moisture profiles that are in the seventieth uh, to ninetieth percentile right now, and uh, that's a, a lot of available crop moisture. And with that, it uh, also means that there's not a whole lot of real, um, real stressful uh, big time uh, heat waves that can form either. And uh, with 90 percent or I'm just conjuring up a percentage here with 90 percent of the market's attention on what's going to happen in the Midwest as as uh, kind of a, you know, kind of a guess on, on where the trade thought is at this time of the year. Man, you know that—that's a lot, in my opinion. Hey, Bryce, how how uh, concerned do you get about hail this time at this point? I always get concerned about hail uh, in the in the western half of Nebraska and then into um, into uh, the western half of Kansas. But uh, it would have to be a it would have to be a, a storm that uh, kind of uh, goes across an entire state before I think that uh, the, the trade would pay any attention. I think the, I think the market, it's kind of funny. I think the market acts like an actuary. Uh, 
uh, of time and that, you know, there's, there's just so much of a percentage of the, of some se severe storm damage that uh, just kind of gets written off. And okay, if it's above that percent, then we'll pay attention. But otherwise, well, okay, it doesn't, uh, it's, it's not uh, that big a, a total uh, impact feature unless it crosses an entire state. Back in, uh, I want to say 2010, there was a, a terrific round of wind and hail that, that uh, really belted the north central part of Iowa. And it just about went from river to river, from the Missouri to the Mississippi. The trade paid attention to that. Is there anything really standing in the way of this likely being a pretty record crop come harvest? Well, I can't see anything right now from a weather standpoint, um, if unless there's uh, just a succession of storms that that uh, at this at this point are not in the forecast. If for some reason there were there were to be a uh, for some wild happening a repeat of uh, of the occurrence in 1993, which was bordering on 30 years ago, and uh, if there were to be some kind of a repeat of the of, of the total rainfall pattern that we had in 2019, then there maybe would be. But but right now, um, it it looks like a lot of things are lining up for a pretty good uh, crop year at the very least. Well, I'm a I'm a dirty boots agronomy. You know what what bug is in your field and type of girl so I, I stay out of the market um but uh the what i think it's individual farmers are going to you know there's always going to be some people that have problems and it hurts bad whenever it's on your place um this year I, we're following two farmers. I, we follow two farmers every year through a project called View from the Cab. And uh, we have one in central Illinois and one in the panhandle of Florida. And the Florida farmer is really in a severe drought right now. He's having, he's having to wait to plant for moisture. And he's really struggling to get in his cotton and peanuts, his corn. He's got a small amount of corn that's in, small amount of beans that's in. But, you know, when you're that guy, or it's it hurts, you know, especially whenever everybody else is kind of getting what they need. Um, some of this rain, even though we had plenty of soil moisture, uh, it it has come so hard that it had sealed things up, and um, and that and then those cases we needed a little bit more rain just to loosen that up to let that. Uh, little seedling, those seedlings really take off. So we've had some situations like that. Um, but I will say that the rain events that we've had, a lot of them have come hard and in fast. How much do you think, um, you know, improvements in genetics and just the, the kind of crop we're growing today is driving the kind of outlook for the season? I think it's big. I mean, the, uh, there's no doubt that our the genetics and hybrid, both hybrids and varieties of of all of the crops that we have, for the most part, have improved. Um, doesn't mean they're foolproof, but uh, a lot of the things that happen 
uh, Bryce probably knows this better than I do, but, you know, nighttime temperatures and how, when the heat comes and if the spigot just turns off, all those things are big unknowns as we go forward. So, but we even saw in what, 2012, that when we basically dried up to nothing, right, Bryce, that we still had a crop and it, it really, really showed what our, um, what, what they can do. Well, in 2012, the uh, corn yield was just over 123 bushels an acre. And if that type of heat would have happened in the, uh, the famous uh, drought year of 1988, uh, probably, I don't think we would have seen 100 bushels an acre. And the uh, corn crop still uh, was able to score a, uh, a yield of uh, over 120 bushels an acre. And, and there has been a lot of, a lot of uh, improvement made. We have had some dry years since then. And uh, there, there has not been that bad, of a, uh, that bad of a yield, relatively speaking. So, so yeah, they've, uh, they've made that a priority, and I think they've pretty well lived up to it. But I want to ask for kind of your look ahead to, you know, mid to late um, summer field work and then harvest. What, what are you expecting? Are you expecting kind of a clean season that, that harvest will be able to come together pretty quickly? Are you expecting wetness troubles? Uh, what do you see or what can we see maybe this far in advance? And then any, any insights on what that might look like? Well, on a, on a weather side, uh, I think we're going to we're going to have a pretty good harvest. And the reason I say that is that the indicators uh, for the Pacific Ocean temperatures are just about uh, 100% calling for the Pacific to start moving into a La Nina phase with cooler water out in the equator uh, during uh, late August into September, and and for the Midwest. Uh, when La Nina is around, that usually means a dry fall. And obviously a dry fall would be better for harvest. And I had to make sure I said that because I cannot be on a, on a discussion this long without talking about La Nina somehow or, or the uh, El Nino-La Nina pattern. So I, I had to make sure that uh, I, I, uh, I hit that pitch when I had a chance. <laughs> I'm surprised Bryce hasn't named a cat or a dog or something after the, you know, Nina, <laughs> Nina something. Um, I think there's always a need to keep scouting and, you know, looking for pest pressure. And um, they, we do have a sort of an interesting situation coming up here with uh, several of the states have cutoffs for dicamba spraying dicamba for weeds, and um, some of the soybeans probably are going to not be in the ground long enough or um, at all before some of because the deadline in Arkansas passed yesterday. So uh, Illinois and some other states have specific deadlines, and the label has, the federal label has some deadlines on it. So um, that's going to be interesting because that is something that a lot of the people have put dollars into the genetics to have that trait available for them. Um, but beyond that, just, uh, you know, just the regular pests and, and uh, scouting fields and trying to do the best we can to take, to put the investment that what was put out into the field that we take care of it the best we can. 
That's interesting. Would you expect then that there's going to be a significant decrease in use of dicamba this year? I'm not sure I, I would make that prediction. I don't know. Uh, I'm just saying that uh, that there are some scenarios setting up for uh, the, you know, that they might not get to use it legally post-emergence. Good to know. Uh, and on the pest pressure question, any specific pressures that you're watching or that are emerging kind of at the moment? There's been uh, some talk of cutworm, uh, moths flying, things like that. I haven't heard of anything really big uh, other than I've talked to some hay guys that have already had to spray for army worms, alfalfa, alfalfa weevils, and it seemed like alfalfa got a, got a good smacking early um, with some pest pressure. Um, the, the cool temperatures helped us a little bit on cutworms and um, moth flights, things like that. The wet, heavy rains will probably may help with uh, rootworm pressure somewhat because they don't like, they don't do the backstroke very well. But, um, you know, you just, I don't ever count any of them out. Um, again, our, our view from the cab guy in Florida has already had to spray for grasshoppers and cotton. He said he never and he's, I think he said in his whole farming career, ever faced that problem. So, um, you know, you just never know what you're going to gonna run into. Though this week's crop progress report did show planting progress slowing in some areas due to wetness, overall, the country is still well ahead of last year. Condition reports, a key factor to watch, won't be available until the first reports in June, which Bryce notes is something for producers to look out for. For more in-depth analysis on 2020 crop progress so far, visit dtnpf.com. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Bryce Anderson and Pamela Smith. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier, Kylie Swanson, and Marie Anikstead. And a big thanks to you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, And be sure to check back in next week for episode 7 of Field Posts. Until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode is brought to you by DTN Spray Outlook. Simplify your day with DTN Spray Outlook. This tool produces an intuitive red-yellow-green color outlook that indicates the appropriateness of making applications from day-to-day, even hour-to-hour. All the details on spray risk, wind speed and direction, dew point, and temperature are displayed on a single screen, available either on your desktop computer or mobile device. It's ideal for operators like you, who are juggling many chores at the same time. DTN Spray Outlook can be found in our platforms. For more information, please visit our website, www.dtn.com.